0: off your device. That's soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M and let accountability be your guide. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. My name is Dwayne Osterland and I'm your host and we are on to the next episode. Today, my guest is Dr. Michael Barta. He's a licensed professional counselor and certified sex addiction therapist, and is a leading expert in addressing and treating the source of sexually compulsive behaviors. He is a pioneer in the neurobiological treatment of addictions. His research-based cutting-edge treatments have successfully treated hundreds of men, women, and couples facing the devastation caused by sexually compulsive behaviors and help them return to living authentic lives. He is the author of the wonderful book, TENSA, A Neurological Approach to the Treatment of Sex Addiction, that was published in 2017 and is the creator of the TENSA model. And I really was excited to have Michael on the podcast. I was lucky enough to get to hear him speak at a conference held by the International Institute of Trauma and Addiction Professionals, ITAP, and have him talk about this model and and be there and listen to him speak. And I love this approach because I really believe in looking at our nervous system and how our body operates in the world and understanding addiction from that perspective, because there's some things that we can really change there to begin to live better lives and to gain connection and feel safe in the world, which is something we ultimately all want to do. And in this interview, Dr. Barta is going to talk about that. We go into the TINSA model, and we also go into his newest neurobiological model, Intune. So working directly with the brain and nervous system to enable the individuals to reestablish authentic connections, which is really dependent on having a nervous system that is wired for that and so we have to heal our traumas if we're struggling with that so i think you will get a lot out of this episode and i really enjoyed talking to michael he's just really knowledgeable and is open and frank and just really digs into what can help someone overcome addiction specifically sexual addiction all right that was a long intro But if you are enjoying the Addicted Mind podcast, please rate and review us in iTunes. That really does help. I think we're over 100 reviews, which is still very mind boggling to me. And I really appreciate everybody writing in there and sharing how the Addicted Mind podcast has impacted them in such a positive way. So thank you so much for everyone who's taking the time to do that. I really appreciate it. Also, think about joining our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook and type in the Addicted Mind podcast, click join, and continue the conversation online. All right, time to start this episode. All right, Michael, welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. I'm going to have you introduce yourself, but before we start, I just want to talk a little bit about how we connected. Well, we've been working in in the sex addiction field for quite a while, and I think we know of each other. But particularly why I wanted you on the podcast is this is pre-COVID. You did a presentation at ITAP, the International Mm -hmm. Institute of Addiction and Trauma Professionals. And you talked about your book, TINSA, which is the trauma-induced sexual addiction from a neurobiological approach to addiction. And I was fascinated by it. And wanted to have you come on the podcast and talk about it and so i'm excited that you're here and let's jump in so michael tell me a little bit about yourself and what motivated you to write this book and we'll go from there
1: well i'm pretty transparent in what i do and so my path came naturally in that i was suffering from compulsive sexual behaviors myself and in 2007 that culminated I um, Just couldn't do it anymore. All right. Right. And so took a a little about a year off to get my my head straight, went to a treatment center. And, you know, the longer I was working on myself, I started really seeing how my expertise as a psychologist might be able to benefit other people in this realm. So I went and got trained at ITAP with Pat Carnes, and uh, that was a really life-changing experience. So quickly after I was trained, I started working with people suffering from sex addiction and sexually compulsive issues. And I started seeing that the way addiction treatment was set up at that time was not proving super effective. I mean, it started scaring me. There was a really right. high recidivism rate. Luckily, about that time, this guy named Dr. Stephen Porges, his book came out called Polyvagal Theory. He started researching that since '94, but this book came out. It was way over my head. I couldn't understand anything they
0: were saying, but it made sense, Right. Right, you could kind of you could feel that something here was working, like it was it, clicking it was clicking just
1: the basic tenets, right. I understood that, but when he got into the book, I was like, "Oh my gosh, so I hired this guy named Robert Scare, who has written numerous books he's He's passed on unfortunately, but he was a neuroscientist here in Boulder, Colorado, and I went to see him at a talk and Luckily, he was an incredibly friendly guy. So I called him up and I said, hey, can can we discuss this? So we went through Porges' theory and he, you know, knew Porges, but he also had been using the same type of work. He just wasn't calling it that realm. And we went through it and I started putting pieces together and seeing that, you know, what's really going on is that there's something wrong or something distorted in the addict's brain and autonomic nervous system. So I started really doing research around this and starting plugging it in with clients and they started to rapidly get better and the recidivism rate went way down.
0: So before we keep going, I want to set a framework for everybody out there listening, because they might not know what some of these terms are when we talk about polyvagal and all of that, um, yes. the, the, all those components. But it sounds like here you were struggling with this issue, getting treatment, getting, getting to start to get trained in it, but seeing that there was a missing piece. And to set some context, you know, beginning addiction treatment and Sex addiction treatment was very cognitive behaviorally approached, meaning what you think and what your behaviors are. We've got to work on that. We've got to change that. But this other piece started to come in, this polyvagal piece. Can you define that a little bit and and talk a little bit more what that means?
1: Yeah, thank you for for saying that. I wish I would have said what you said because it was a lot better. (laughs) Uh, but, But Yeah. Polyvagal just means that the autonomic nervous system is broken down into three branches. And this was revolutionary because up until that time, we thought it was just two branches. Right. Okay. And so I'm going to just explain, you know, what those three branches are. And I'm going to start with the first one that was formed and that was called dorsal vagal. And that is still alive within us. And when that system comes online, that's one of the three systems, that's where we go into our freeze response, our immobilization. That's where dissociation happens. All right. Next on the ladder, what, what we evolved into is having a sympathetic nervous system as well as a dorsal vagal system. And the sympathetic system helped us in our survival uh, by giving us the ability to, to, to move. Okay, so it gave us the ability to run away from a threat. And then if we couldn't run away and we were cornered, we would fight it off. So a lot of people associate the sympathetic system with the fight and flight system. But the most important thing that Porges pointed out was that we also have this third system. And it's called the ventral vagal system. And basically, the ventral vagal system is from the diaphragm up in into the brain, all right. And when this occurred, we started being able to socially engage with other people, all right. And that was a matter of safety, but it was also a matter of connection. So it's a higher right. order thing, right? that most mammals lack that social engagement system, they're more concerned with escaping danger than socially connecting for safety. All right. So when I saw these three systems happening, I'm like, okay, well, what's going on here? Because these people that were coming to me were all describing events in their environment while growing up that, Somehow injured them, all right, and we can call it trauma, all right. So, my work became about how did these traumatic events affect the person? And what I found in my work was that this nervous system was malaligned, okay. That's what tense is all about. Tense is about showing a person how their autonomic nervous system was changed by trauma, okay? Once we found that out, we could start then working on the specific traumas that they were experiencing, okay? And what my work has done since that time, TENSA was published in 2017. But in January this year, okay, 2022, I really started focusing more on what specific part of the autonomic nervous system was damaged? Not just, you know, showing people that the autonomic nervous system itself was damaged, but what part was. I created a new model. Or I'm creating it right now. It's called Intune, E-N-T-U-N-E. And I chose that because basically what my work is showing us is this nervous system that we have. And I now call it the operating system because it's our brain and our autonomic nervous system working together.
0: Right. Right.
1: Has malattuned. Okay. And it, it was malattuned. If that's a word, I think it's a word. I think it's a word.
0: It makes sense to me.
1: Yeah. So it was malattuned and it was malattuned by two different things. Okay. It was malattuned either by deprivation trauma which means that the person did not get what they needed for this operating system to develop, to function normally. Right. Okay? And when the nervous system, this operating system, isn't functioning normally, we're not able to connect. So we're back at that, what sex addiction's been called for years, intimacy disorder. But there's never been a super great Neuroscientific explanation of intimacy
0: disorder, like being able to 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 see it and and describe this process. I, I know for me, you know, reading some of Portridge's work on the polyvagal theory, it really started to make sense for me about why my body was doing the things that it was doing, and it was pretty profound to be able to see it in this context from a neurobiological perspective and then see this malattunement and be able to go, Oh, Oh, that's, what's going on. Oh, now I can kind of see it. Maybe I can do something with that. hundred percent. Yeah. And, and that's the key because, you know, up
1: until that time addiction treatment was about, you have a disease, right? And there's, there's, you know, you're going to have it forever. You can keep it in check, but there's not really anything you can do about it okay you you can stay sober, okay you can you can be maintain abstinence from the behavior of the substance. but that alone isn't enough, particularly in the behavioral addictions, because I think it works well with alcohol and drug addiction because you know I really don't have to walk into a liquor store. Or I don't even know a drug dealer anymore. Right. And so, you know, that's pretty far away, but behavioral addiction, specifically sex addiction is in my brain. Okay. Right. I can, I can call it up at any time. So I needed a way to be able to get back into um, a regulated state enough within myself that i wasn't going to be what you were describing as hijacked right and one of the craziest things that i'm i'm just baffled by is that we have this operating system inside of us and each one of us has one and it happens below our level of consciousness but it's responsible for everything we think say and do yeah
0: i think sometimes that's a hard concept for people <laughs> to is. grasp and it and it feels it feels a little bit like, oh, my gosh, I, you know, my nervous system is is making all of these choices for me. Where's my willpower? Where's my – exactly? how do I make any conscious decisions? But I, I think there's some, some explanation to that as well.
1: A hundred percent. And the thing is, is so we all have one. It's responsible for how we behave. But no one really ever – knows it's there, or we don't talk about it right i think I think this should be taught in first grade. This is how your body operates right and
0: and how to how to
1: work with each component in the system,
0: yeah, and I think going back to what I was saying earlier, having this knowledge about the nervous system is so empowering because that's where you get to make your choices. That's where you get to be empowered with designing your life or strategically operating in your life, making the life you want.
1: Yeah, it's it's actually really learning to work with the system the way it's supposed to work instead of trying to control the system. Right, right. And in most cases, you know, what we do when a nervous system is out of whack, we try to control it. We take meds, we do other things like that, right? But we also find ways... To feel like we're in control by acting out sexually, drinking too much, eating too much, doing yeah. drugs—those types of things. So those are all symptoms of the autonomic nervous system, the operating system, being malattuned.
0: Yeah, I I, I want to go back to one thing that you had mentioned that really struck me was this social piece of this right? This third system. And that my belief is that uh, we're very social animals. We really want to connect. It's very primal to us. We all have this strong desire to feel part of the tribe. You know, I think it's a biological imperative. But can you talk about that piece a little bit? Because I think that's really important to understand this neurobiology and this attunement attuning to ourselves attuning to our nervous systems and attuning to the other and if we're misattuned how that's going to maybe create some havoc in our lives it's a great question thank you so you
1: use the magic word biological imperative So what differentiates us from most other mammals, and I'm not a mammal study guy, so I don't know which ones have the social engagement system, which ones don't, is that we have to, biological imperative means it must happen. Right. All right. And so we're wired, we're designed to connect. But what goes wrong with us is that this system itself, the social engagement system, is either not ever turned on, it's or it's not used and strengthened, or there's something that occurs in our life that knocks it offline so i started a little while ago and then i and then i stopped and the and, and i said this happens in two ways and in the first way was deprivation that this audit that the that social engagement system did not get what it needed okay what the social engagement system needs first of all we're wired to connect we hear that all the time but what does that mean it means that we have this wiring but we need another person's wiring To complete the circuit. Right. That's called co-regulation. Okay. And co-regulation happens like this. The baby's in distress. The mom sees the baby in distress. And now she's distressed. Okay. So she goes to the baby to soothe the baby. As the baby gets soothed, the mom's distress leaves as well. This is an example of co-regulation. This is how humans are supposed to work or we do work, right? Right. But if we don't have that social engagement system, say this did not happen. Say that the I I used mom, but it could be, you know, any any attachment figure. It wasn't able to connect. It wasn't able to co-regulate the child for any number of reasons, right? For them not ever getting their social engagement system turned off for them being overwhelmed for, and I'm talking about the, the primary attachment figure for them to be a drug addict, alcoholic, you know, it could be any number of things where the child is not getting what it needs for the social engagement system to form. And I think that's really the cause predisposition for our addictions. Okay. Cause we can't connect. Yeah, um, that, that system does not work correctly. It's never been tuned. Okay, It,
0: it reminds me of, you know, you talked about uh, training with Patrick Carnes and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I did the same training. And one of the things that we talk about in the very beginning of this is that deep loneliness when people are starting to get out of their addiction. A lot of them have that deep, empty hole in the soul they, they say from addiction and that deep loneliness. And it makes sense that if your nervous system isn't in tune, then you're not going to be able to to make those connections. You're going to have that deep loneliness and that deep loneliness is painful and you got to find a way out. But if you don't know what's going on in your nervous system, you're kind of stuck. Yeah. But sex, and, and substances work. work. Yeah, we also personalize it,
1: right? Yeah. Something's wrong with me. I'm bad. I'm broken. I'm different. I don't fit in. And a lot of my clients, including, you know, my own experience growing up, was there was just this sense that I didn't fit in, that I didn't belong, that other people had the playbook and I didn't, right? That was an example of my own social engagement system not ever being turned on because, you know, it just just didn't happen. So, but what the operating system, the autonomic nervous system and the brain do, because they're smart, and because biologically we are wired and need to connect, it finds ways to give us a sense of what the social engagement system is supposed to do. So it finds ways for us to feel safe, and safe just means the absence of threat, right? So it's turning off the sympathetic system. It turns, it finds ways to reduce, you know, and manage that anxiety that we feel. And, you know, I can tell you, I had my first beer at 12, okay? And in fact, I had two of them and it was Nirvana. And I used to think for the longest time that it was about the high But it wasn't about the high. It was about the quiet. It was about finally the noise turned off in my body, the anxiety, the self-loathing, the insecurity. It was gone, right? And so what my brain and autonomic nervous system said was, hey, this is a way to regulate. I now call those in my new model our compensatory behaviors. Because these compensatory behaviors are taking place of the maladapted social engagement
0: system. I love that distinction that you're saying there, that it's it's not the high, it's the calm. I think that's really, really important to be able to see it from that perspective, because that's. Really, in a way, what the nervous system is trying to pursue is to get to this deep sense of calm and safety. I am safe in the world. That's in a way, maybe that's another biological imperative is to get to safety. Yeah, to that feeling of because
1: we can't socially connect with others if it's not safe. Right. Right. So if we turn off the threat signal. With sex, drugs, alcohol, whatever, you know, we're talking about sex today. If we turn that threat off, guess what we get to do? We get to connect, but it's not real connection. Right. Right. And that's the, that's the bummer part. Right. And so what I really talk about now a lot is this deprivation, the deprivation that occurs from our needs not being met. All right. And then after the deprivation of the needs not being met, and I and I draw this picture of a hole, right? And and down here are the needs, and, and I've identified the need as safety, connection, power, which is our sense of worth, our sense of validation, our sense of psychological agency, and our acceptance, right? And so when those aren't met, then our behaviors become about meeting those
0: needs right and those are felt sense needs like they're in the body they're experiential they're they're not necessarily cognitive not at all you know and
1: so when when i feel a sense of value when i feel a sense of worth that's internal right But what I was doing in my compensatory behaviors, which became addictions, were trying to meet those needs through substances and behaviors. And every time I did that, it gave my body the sense that the need was being met. But what it was actually doing is making the deprivation wound deeper because the needs were never being met.
0: Yeah, not in any real way. And you just nope. keep feeling more and more lonely trying to either climb up this kind of hill that you think it's there, but it's not really there. It's
2: and then you keep there. trying
0: the same thing <laughs> and you can't get there because you're not really working with the nervous system, what you're talking about. You're not really digging into that neurobiological component to be able to really meet these needs on a biological level, I guess.
1: 100%. Yeah. So if we if we if we use an example and we take it that okay this guy Michael drank at 11 or 12 years old right and then started pursuing that path to meet these needs because when i had alcohol in me when i had when i found sexual behavior right if i could have that it gave me a false sense of safety It gave me a false sense of security, a false sense of connection and co-regulation, a false sense of worth and a false sense of being accepted. Right. So I had all these beliefs about myself and all this, you know, unresolved stuff going on in my nervous system, which I call the noise. Right. The anxiety and the fear and all that kind of stuff. And then I found something to stop that. But ultimately, what occurs at that point is these beliefs and this, the, these, these body sensations increase. So what once I was trying to escape through my behavior was actually proving my earlier beliefs true. I started right. getting into trouble. I started, you know, having issues. I started ruining relationships, things like that. So it was kind of this this cycle that needed an explanation of why we do it so we can get out. And that's the embodiment. That's the, my new work is the embodiment of all this information. Having people go in and deeply understand and, and use each part of their system so that they can become familiar with it. Right, we can't do anything with it until we know what part of the system is running us.
0: Right, Right. we're kind of we're we're lost in our thoughts about it, and we don't actually start to move into the nervous system to change that. So it sounds like what what uh, I'm seeing is uh, as you've evolved in this work, you you started with this neurobiological approach to sex addiction, Tinsa. And Mm -hmm. as you've done that, you've taken it even deeper to this new neurobiological model of attune, which is about really, it sounds like understanding and shifting that nervous system to move you to that space where you can have those feelings of connection. You can have those feelings of competence, satisfaction. Meaning, but those are, like, once again, those are felt senses. All of them. Yeah.
1: So it's really embodying the work. It's really learning what your nervous system is, right, this operating system is, and then how to retune it for optimal
0: health. Right. And this is where... I get excited is that we know now that our nervous system, not just our brain, our whole nervous system is much more plastic, malleable, malleable than we thought or understood. And that this is something that people can do. They can, they can change this. We're not locked into this destiny. Nope.
1: Yeah. That that's really exciting for me too. You know, and it's exciting for the men I work with because they come in and they think that, you know, I am a broken person who is sexually deviant and has done bad things. Right. And what they learn is that, you know, and and there's a book out there called It's Not What's Wrong With You, It's What Happened to You, which is amazing because they learn that. And it's not an excuse. It's just fact that the way we are designed was not formed correctly. And the the nervous system is really, really trying for health.
0: Right. But it's doing
1: so in ways that kill it or kill relationships or make you more lonely than you've ever been.
0: So, if you're working with someone, what would be some of the first things you're going to do with them in this Attune model? How are you going to help them begin to make that shift? So, one of the first things I
1: really do, and I'm really trying to bring awareness to this deprivation trauma, because it's a lot more prevalent than the what I call the bigger traumas.
0: Right, right.
1: And those are more along the lines of developmental trauma, where there's a sudden breach in connection that takes the social engagement system offline. So those are the big events in our life, right? The death of a loved one, the really severe car accident, war, devastation, those types of things, right? Right. The majority of people I've worked with since 2008 have had what I call now the deprivation trauma. They just didn't get what they needed. And it's not about having bad parents, right? It's about, hey, there was something going on in my environment where I just didn't get what I needed. And my autonomic nervous system malformed. So we go deeply into looking at what those are. Because I still have guys coming to me to this day going, I never had any trauma. And, right. and once I give them my list of what deprivation trauma is, they're like, oh, I had like 40 of these things,
0: right? Yeah. You know, I always, <laughs> I, yeah, exactly. I have the same experience and it's, and and these deprivation traumas aren't, like you said, aren't these glaring things that are, are really easy to see. They're this pattern of, of deprivation, this pattern that, that, uh, I think in some ways we can almost get used to because it's 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 there and so it we lose a cognitive awareness of it until someone like you you know points it out and says hey look at this and do you see this and it's like oh my gosh yeah now now i see those things like (laughs) Wow. Yeah. That, that happened. And that was like that. And that was like this. And can you give us an example of one? So someone might understand what you're talking about when you say deprivation, uh,
1: you know, it's amazing that my last group of people that, and let me think about this for a second so I can formulate it easily that this guy came in and he was one of these people that didn't think he had a lot of trauma and the traumas that he thought were there were there, of course. But when he really looked at it, what he found was a much deeper understanding of what was going on. Okay, so he was sexually abused a few times. You know, he was in dangerous situations. A lot of the times he was, you know, all these things. And he's pointing to those as the trauma. Right. But when we went back and really looked at it, what we saw was where the heck were the people in your lives That we're supposed to be protecting. Yeah. And he got this blank look on his face. Right. And he's like, they were never
0: there. There was
1: no one ever there
0: to protect me. So he had to survive on his own and didn't get that co-regulation that you talked about earlier to help teach his nervous system to deal with these, what I would say, obvious traumas. Mm-hmm. But the big trauma is no one was there to walk with him through it, and he didn't have anybody to turn to when that happened. Yeah.
1: In fact, he was about forty-eight years old, and that was the first time he had really talked about it. Yeah. You know? yeah. so it's it's really what's hidden within, right? It's what didn't happen that should have happened.
0: Yeah, and, and I think that can be so hard to see when you're in it because it's just what is expected. Of course, no one's going to be there for me because no one has. So it's really normal. I don't even necessarily see it as abnormal or not healthy. It just is. And I, I, I get that a lot from clients because that's how it was. And so play that fast forward. His deepest belief
1: is no one's going to be there for me. So he can't connect with his, his, he was married. He couldn't connect with his wife. Right. Because he held this belief. (laughs) You're not going to be there for me either. Why should I let you all the way in? Right. Yeah. And so this is how people can really start. To not only understand, but then change. Right? Because you gotta start looking at the proof, too. There are people there for you, right? But your deepest belief is only focused on they're going to leave. Right? Yeah. And his deepest belief is I'm not worthy to be taken care of. I there's something. So wrong with me that people won't even protect me. These are really early, early beliefs, right? Made by a child.
0: Yeah. And but profoundly part of his experience and, and who he is. But with that knowledge, now he can take some steps to do something different or even start to look at it differently or notice different behaviors or see different parts of it that he could never see before.
1: Yeah. And so the intensives that I do now they are a week long, they really focus primarily on the activation of the social engagement system, really allowing yourself to be seen and practice vulnerability and authenticity. Each hour, every day that you're there, right? Because that system needs to be rebooted.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And the maintenance is, guess what? Using it. Yeah. And yeah. so that's where, you know, I really love 12-step work because we have an automatic free group that I can go in and practice social engagement anytime I want. Right?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And the more vulnerable I am, the healthier I become.
0: Yeah, I have this saying that it's we heal through the eyes of others. And yeah, we need that social engagement for us to learn how to co-regulate and create those bonds that that help us heal with trustworthy others. You know, I'd say not everybody deserves our trust and we have to have (laughs) discernment in that. And that takes its own work but you can start this process and and engaging with other people is r- really the first step i think in in doing this work i absolutely agree it's wonderful well michael i think we could we could talk forever about this and go into even more and more detail and i'm so happy that you came on. I think this is going to be helpful for a lot of people. There's one question I, I love to ask before we end. And that's if, if someone is out there struggling and they're really having a hard time, maybe they're relating to what you're saying and you could tell them one thing, what would you want to tell them? What would you want to say to them?
1: For them to start with compassion for the self. Compassion for the self. Yeah. And you're not doing this because you're bad. You're doing it because you're hurt. And start healing the
0: hurt.
2: Yeah. If
1: we heal the hurt, we don't have to kill the pain.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much, Michael. Where can people get more information if they want it? Where can they go?
1: They go to Dr. dot com. Awesome. So it's Dr. Michael, B-A-R-T-A.com. Uh, I have a section on there you can write to ask me questions, learn more about my models, and
0: that's it. Awesome. I will put all the links to your, your books and and your website at theaddictivemind.com. And definitely encourage people to check out your, your book, Tinsa, that's, it's, it's really, really helpful and I've had a lot of clients really appreciate it and feel very validated from it. And I'm excited to hear about your new model in tune. maybe have you back on when you're ready and, and you can tell us more about that as well. Sure.
1: I would love that. The book should be probably be out this spring. Awesome. Great.
0: Thank you, Michael. Thanks so much. All right, everyone, thank you for listening to the Addicted Mind podcast. As usual, all the links will be in the show notes at theaddictedmind.com, so check them out there. And if you've enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend or write a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. I truly appreciate that. And if you wanna continue the conversation online, join our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook, type in the Addicted Mind podcast, click join and continue the conversation there. All right, everyone, have a wonderful day and I will talk to you on the next episode.